Hello, my beautiful beans, and welcome to the episode of today. So in today's episode, we are going to be talking about dating apps, all things dating apps. We're going to be talking about this this um, fallacy of this illusion of endless possibilities in the dating app world, what it provides for people, what it takes away for other people. We're going to be delving deep into everything dating app related. And I actually was planning on doing this episode months ago, but for whatever reason, it was just kind of sitting there dormant and I had to go and find where I had put up those stories in the archives of the DYFM podcast Instagram page just before planning this episode and troll back. And I had actually polled you guys back in May about dating apps. And I had asked you guys questions about, do you think dating apps have ruined dating? And I got the stats on that. I got you guys to give me your opinion of what you think dating apps do, whether it's good or bad. And I got you to also give me your best and worst um, stories from dating apps. And they are, there are some really sad and serious and there are some that are fucking hysterical. You guys are fucking comedians these are on par with the ick episode if you guys haven't listened to the ick episode i had so much feedback of people dying of laughter because you guys sent in the most hysterical outlandish icks that you couldn't even make up okay just hilarious so this is some of these answers are on par with that it's just phenomenal anyway so it's going to be a great episode i'm really pumped for this because as i was writing all these points down that you guys had sent in i was furious, really happy, thought it was really sweet and romantic and then in hysterics, in hysterics, okay? So it's going to be great. We No life update for today. Everything's great. Everything's fabulous. Good times. I do have a brain fact. So I'm going to do the brain fact now and then we'll get straight into the episode of today. Now the brain fact of today is something that I find fucking fascinating and this is around fast-paced cartoons and animations and why they are really detrimental for children, for their um, executive function and for their overall focus and attention spans. I'm going to delve into what that means for a second, but the reason why I find this so interesting is because one of the things that of all of neuroscience and psychology that really, really gets me very interested is how devices and screen time in general, specific screen, specific things on screen over other things can be super, super detrimental to people's attention span in general. Like I understand that there are actual attentional disorders such as ADHD and things like that, but I think we have created on top of that, separate to that, and in addition to that, we have created, we, society, technology, the companies, whatever you want to call it, a massive attentional problem in society where most people, when you compare the, our attention span now to what it was a couple of decades ago, would have an attention deficit of some degree, okay? And I think that this is going to start earlier and earlier and earlier with the technology that we have and what is available. Now, the good thing of what I was researching because there's still it's still relatively new this research so we need more data more studies just more in general to to really get a deeper understanding of why it is that fast paced sequencing cartoons and animations are detrimental the good thing is is that it is dependent on what the content is so it's not all tv is bad for kids all phones are bad for kids like all all stuff on your phone it's not the case so 
for people that are like, you don't have children, Alexis, you don't know what it's like when a child's whatever. I know I don't have kids. I know I don't know what it's like. However, the good news is there is good, well, slash deemed to be scientifically unharmful, quote unquote, shows that your children can be watching versus shows that are going to be detrimental to their attention span and their emotional regulation and things like, you know, where they have, you know, tantrums or where they can't regulate themselves if they're pulled away from a device because they're watching something fast paced. Now, this came to me because I was doing a bit of research and this, there's a show called Coco Melon, right? And all, a lot of the talk and the research around it and all the articles that were coming out in, in the last year or two about this spe- specific thing is on the show Coco Melon, but it's not specific to Coco Melon. It's on any show that follows that similar structure where it, the scenes are changing every one to two seconds. It's like bang, 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 bang. It's like dopamine hit, dopamine hit, dopamine hit. It's really stimulating the colours, the songs, the dancing, the music. It's very intense. I tried to watch Cocomelon and I was like, what the fuck am I watching? I was like, like after watching it. So imagine for a child that all their connections are being made and it's this hyper stimulating thing versus watching something like you know, Bluey or Play School where the scenes are a lot longer and there's these longer conversations of longer scenes. It's a lot slower paced. Um, Sesame Street, those things that we, most of us would have been exposed to as kids, the Wiggles, all of that, that is a lot slower paced in the sense of the scenes aren't changing, bang, 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 bang. So you get the child used to learning to while they're not engaging in conversation, be exposed to a a slower conversation or someone demonstrating something slowly, how to cut a star out of a piece of paper, how to this, how to that, like little instructions, instructional videos, that kind of stuff. So they've found that there is a difference and the old school stuff doesn't seem to be detrimental at all and the more intense, attention-grabbing, more addictive, behaviourally addictive stuff is detrimental. Okay, so why is fast-paced sequencing like Coco Melon or similar shows bad for children, especially under the age of two? Is because the children don't get the opportunity to get distracted and to bring their attention back to what it is that they're watching. So that's one of the things. So with play school, it's not crazy stimulating. It's entertaining. But the kid could be distracted or you could call the kid's name and they look at you and then they can look back and bring their attention back. And they're learning how to hold attention, right? With some of these shows, if ever, anyone's been exposed to a toddler or has a toddler that's watching these specific fast Pace sequencing shows you call the kid's name and they're in a trance they can't get they they can't get distracted they don't have the opportunity to get distracted because it just sucks them in okay and you've got to keep in mind that these children don't reason and regulate their emotions the way an adult does so when children are exposed to these sorts of things when they can't regulate their emotions, then it becomes really, really difficult when that thing gets taken away for them to regulate their emotions. So if you look at, so adults, we're, we're just as bad, but we're able to um, to hide it a lot better with TikTok and Instagram. When that gets pulled away from us, we don't have a tantrum because we've learned how to regulate our emotions, but our desire to return to those apps for a lot of people, not everyone, but a lot of people is pretty intense to the extent that a lot of people within moments, within under a minute, would subconsciously already be unlocking their phone to return to the app that they were just on for 30 minutes or 10 minutes or however long. So 
The difference there is that we know how to regulate our emotions and we're not having an absolute public meltdown. But our desire to return to it is pretty intense for the most part. Another thing is that when watching something that is so much more stimulating than something with long scenes, children are more likely when they're pulled pulled away to have this meltdown, to have a tantrum because they're not able to cope with these feelings. Okay, so that's where their eyes are rolling in the back of their head and they're screaming and they cannot reason, they cannot reason and they literally have to have this entire moment to, you know, sit with these feelings and breathe through it and calm down because it doesn't come naturally to them. So I was doing a bit of reading and there's Dr. Melissa Dvorsky, who's a psychologist with the Children's National Hospital. She says that basically we still need more research and it is a bit up and down, but ultimately what we do know is that it has to do with fast-paced sequence shows and overall screen time. So if there's a lot of screen time going on where the child's main source of entertainment is screen time, that's going to be an issue. Um, if you're giving them you know, a show here and there, it's not going to be an issue. And in particular, if it's these fast-paced sequence shows, that's going to be the main problem. She also says that when children are exposed to this repeatedly or enough times, it's then going to be detrimental for the development of executive function. And executive function, and this is development going into further down through their childhood and adolescence. So executive function is the ability to self-regulate, as in emotional self-regulation, emotional control, all of that. She also says, um, and this is a quote, she says, it's about how stimulating it is on the brain because you're processing so much information at once versus a person that's standing on a set, you might be paying more attention to the messages and the facial expressions. Okay, so that's the difference. Um, also, what I found really interesting is in a completely separate study, and this is not Coco Melon related, I think this was actually around... SpongeBob SquarePants, but the way they explained it in the study, it's a fantastical cartoon about a sponge that lives under the sea. So obviously it's about SpongeBob SquarePants, but there was a study carried out by the University of Virginia led by psychologist Angeline Lillard. And in this study, they compared four-year-olds and they broke them up into three groups. And the aim here was to see if the type of TV children watch make a difference to their attention and self-control and their ability to delay gratification. So they broke the kids up into the three groups. There was a group where they were drawing, and this is all for nine-minute duration. So one group of kids were drawing. The other group was watching slow-paced TV. So I, I can't remember what the TV show, well, I can remember, but it was a show that I'd never heard of. Obviously, it's not played in Australia, but by the way they described it, it sounded something along the lines of like a play school. And then the other one was watching the fantastical underwater where a sponge lives under the water, so SpongeBob SquarePants. So they made them all do this task for three minutes, uh, sorry, for nine minutes. Then after that, they did tests on the children. So they ran them through focus tests where they would hold their focus for a prolonged period of time or, or long for, for as far as for a child is concerned. And then they did willpower tests like the marshmallow test. And the marshmallow test is like, here's two marshmallows. I'm going to leave. If you ring a bell, you can have those marshmallows straight away. Or if you wait for me to come back, and I can't remember what the time frame is, but they're going to have to wait for a kid, what feels like a long time, maybe it's five minutes, I don't know. But if you wait for me to come back, you'll get 10 marshmallows. And these are all kids that presumably love marshmallows. They gave them an option for marshmallows or some other candy that they liked. 
And the test, this test in general, this test has been going on for decades, this particular test. And this test is a really, really good indicator into seeing how much self-control these children will go on to have into adulthood, okay? So when you're learning self-control, it's, you know, the earlier you learn it, the better. Not to say that you can't relearn it later, but it becomes harder to relearn it later. And their findings were that for the specific things that they were being tested for, the difference between the drawing and the slow-paced TV group were negligible. And then between the drawing and slow-paced group versus the fast sequencing group, the SpongeBob group, they found a significant deficit in delayed gratification and self-control and also in focus and avoiding distractions. So the study pointed to the fact that TV itself on its own may not be the issue, but it's the kind of TV that the child is watching and how stimulating it is. Now, to wrap it up, as a bit of a you know disclaimer or whatever you want to call it, not all children are the same. Some kids just don't get sucked in. There's going to be parents saying, not true, not true, my child's fine. Yeah, no, your child's probably a little bit of an outlier and there are a handful of kids that are an outlier. Just like some adults do not find TikTok or Instagram entertaining in the slightest. There are people out there that are like, couldn't think of anything worse, not fucking interested, not interested. But the general population does. That's why it does so well. That's why they make so much fucking money. The same goes for kids. There's going to be kids that are like, mm, eh, mm, eh, not really me. But most kids do get sucked into this thing. And while we are still waiting to get more and more data on these kinds of studies because these studies are smaller or there's not as many done, there is a lot of specialists that work with children, professionals that work with children that are coming out and saying all these things because they have direct contact with children. They see it. The studies that have been done are pointing to the same thing that the professionals are saying. So another thing is if you, find that your ch- if you have a child and you find that your child is distressed when you remove a device or show that is highly stimulating, then it is a sign to limit your child's access to these things as it can increase the rate of tantrums and not being able to regulate their emotions, okay? So instead, put something much slower paced on as an alternative if it's a situation where you're like, I need to just put them in front of the TV, I need to do this thing and they're just not settling, whatever, then you want to choose a slow paced versus a fast paced sequencing. So... It's kind of like for us adults. It's the difference between watching TikTok videos that are bang, 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 bang versus watching a film that holds your attention over a couple of hours. So even then, when we have executive function, it is more difficult to hold your attention watching a film. You get distracted, you still do things versus when you're on Instagram. We've all seen other adults on like scrolling and that we look like zombies. It's fucking terrifying. And it's like you're in this like in this black hole getting sucked in. So imagine for a child not having executive function and then dealing with that kind of contrast, not being able to regulate your emotions and not knowing how to put things into perspective. So, yeah. Another thing is they say that ideally you don't want any of this fast-paced, nothing at all below the age of two and then very limited past that. That's kind of what the findings are saying. Anyway, wild fucking hectic times with that. Let's get straight into the episode topic of today. Okay, so let's get straight into talking about dating apps. So what's the issue that we're looking at here for a lot of people when it comes to dating apps based on every message that I had come through when I did the polling and all of those questions, but also based on a lot of emails that I've been sent from listeners for the listener question and people just generally reaching out. So the issue for a lot of people is this lack of commitment 
and this this feeling that no one's taking anything seriously or anyone seriously, the grass is greener on the other side. And people that don't have this mentality that do want to take it seriously often get really hurt in the process and then they struggle to trust other people and then trust the next connection that it's that like it's difficult for them to trust that the next connection will be any different. And then the more it happens, the less they're willing to dive in. So their walls are up, they're protecting themselves. And each cycle gets worse and worse and worse where those people that are looking for a real connection are often on the app pretending that they're also just down for a good time or something more casual because they either feel like it's a way of protecting themselves. So they'll just say that in case the other person also doesn't want something serious so they haven't put themselves out there and been vulnerable and been hurt or B that it's what the other person would want to hear in order to keep the chat going hoping that maybe this time someone's going to change their mind and actually want a connection after they meet and then it creates this vicious cycle and then they end up ultimately feeling hurt because they're not getting what they want and what they're putting out is not what they mean now like I said I polled you guys and I asked do, this is the question that I asked. Do you think dating apps are ruining dating? And I had thousands of votes. 74% of you guys said, yes, I think dating apps are ruining dating. 26% of you thought, no, they are not. Then I asked you guys how to comment on how you feel about it, good or bad. How do you feel about it? And the answers varied a lot. Now, there's a whole bunch and I'm going to read them out. And I want you, as I read them out, for you to sit with it and think, where do I sit on this fence? Am I all the way to, to good, all the way bad? Am I somewhere in the middle? And just kind of have a bit of an inquiry into yourself. So this is some of the answers. Firstly, there were heaps of people saying that they met their current partner or husband slash wife on there. So I'm not going to read those out individually, but there were a lot. So that's good to know. Then we've got the following. It feels like people are disposable. People hide aspects of themselves they know isn't liked. For example, smoking. So many unwritten rules that you don't know if you're doing anything right. It's the chance to meet people you normally wouldn't meet. So many cooked people in one place. How do you deal? Guys, don't talk back to me. It feels superficial and over-edited. I get heaps of matches and then it goes nowhere. I'm new to using it and a lot of people will like my profile but then never reply to a message. People on there are not honest. People can be who they want so there's no authenticity. It's easy to abandon people without having a conversation about, thing, about where things went wrong. It feels like no one is genuinely looking for love. It's a waste of my time. People, it brings people together that wouldn't have met otherwise. Too much choice and then no one focuses on one person. It's people picking others based on looks. It's the mindset that there is always another option if you're not perfect, so then you try to be perfect. It's just technology in general causing a disconnect. Dating apps are to dating what Netflix is to video stores. People just don't go out to meet people anymore. You lose respect for people because it's online and there is this barrier. It removes the responsibility that you're dealing with someone else's emotions. That one's fucking deep. People feel so entitled to not have to respond because it's boundaries, but some of those boundaries are just downright rude, like ghosting. They're used for casual sex by most people, even when they don't state it on their profile. You're expected to put out straight away or you're tossed to the curb. I love it for exploring kinks and things that may be hard to find in person. I love that for you. 
It's dehumanizing to be swiped left or right like a product. I like knowing who is single so I can shoot my shot. People expecting you to reply within minutes or hours, otherwise they block you. I'm judged on how I look and it causes self-esteem issues. I hate photos of men holding up fish. There was like five of these ones, lol. It's like a shopping cart. It's so easy to compare and discard. What are they comparing? Looks? I like it. I've matched with people that I don't normally go for. Soul-destroying. It gave me self-esteem issues. So that's pretty fucking broad. Like the range of the good and the bad is pretty broad. There are some people that have like ongoing underlying emotional issues about themselves. And then there's people that are like, fuck yeah, this is where I can, you know, someone shares a kink that I have fucking good times. Let's go. So there's good and there's bad. And I think ultimately what this is going to come down to, and I'll I'll break it down deeper into the episode, but what it's going to come down to, it's you've got to get a very clear understanding of what there is to expect. I think if you can manage your expectations and not use dating apps as the only tool, but one of the tools in the toolbox of meeting people, then you might be less um, emotionally attached or resistant or aversive to the dating app thing. Or you could be like me where I tried the dating app thing for literally and probably two hours, I think it was, and I hated it. I hated it. I didn't just hate the interactions that I was having, but I hated myself and how I behaved on it because it made me very superficial and I didn't like that. So I deleted it. Couldn't handle it. But then I see how some of my friends use it and they have a fucking, not all of them, some of them get severe anxiety, but some of them have a ball and it's just a good fucking time and they go on dates and they're, but again, I feel like the ones that have the most fun on it are not that hellbent and attached on finding a significant other. Some are, and that's the ones that really cause them a lot of pain and anxiety. And some are more like, oh, I'm here for a good time. Now, before I get into all of that, I want to go over some of your answers for the worst or best thing that happened on the app. So I actually had quite a few people respond to this saying that they were happily married and that was the best thing that happened on the app um, or that they're currently, you know, five months in or seven months into a relationship, you know, that they met on, you know, Hinge or Bumble or Tinder or whatever, which we fucking love. So that's awesome (laughs) because a lot of these, what I'm going to say is negative, but I do want to cancel that out with saying that there was a lot of positive as well. Okay, let's go through it. Some of them are hysterical, even if they're not supposed to be. Sorry for laughing, but fucking lol. Okay, let's go. I was ghosted on a first date. It was a planned date and they didn't show. I went to dinner with a guy who turns out had been in jail for 16 years for murder. I found out that my now ex-husband had a Tinder profile two weeks after our wedding. One bad date, one catfish, and also one soulmate. Best thing, having an instant connection with a stranger and being able to talk for hours. I reconnected with a friend that I hadn't spoken to in 10 years and now we're good friends again. I met a wonderful person living in the US. I'm from Germany and this would would have never happened for me without dating apps. Someone created new numbers to harass me when I did not want to go to their house on the first date. It allowed me to realize what it is that I want from a guy after speaking to endless men. I always reverse Google image search because sometimes they are a fake catfish or just a catfish in general, I guess. 
I was horrified to find my ex using pictures of my dog claiming it was his. I would be fucking pissed off about that too. Like what the fuck? That's like worse than a catfish, using your dog as bait to pull chicks. Oh, my God, imagine hubby being used as bait. Oh, no, darling. Okay, the worst sex of my life by a long mile. I'm 42 and pregnant with my legend ex-boyfriend. We met on Tinder. I love that attitude. Getting insulted. You match and then they tell you that you're ugly. What the fuck? I didn't even know this would happen. I met a guy in real life and he told me we had matched and that I had ghosted him. I had no idea of him or his name. I'm constantly being unmatched. Why? Worst, dick pics and poems about his dick that makes you cringe. Poems about his dick. My abusive ex. A guy was trying to go on a date with me and, and my housemate and we gave him the same time for a date and he was trying to move our dates two hours apart and he said that he had to help his mum with something. I acquired a stalker. This guy smoked ice in my car and then stole $300 from me. What the fuck? Where are these people emerging from? I was ghosted after six dates and meeting his friends. I went on a date and he tried to sell me life insurance. That's probably one of my favorites. Guy showed up at my work unannounced. We had never met. I left a Tinder date at the club after he started making out with someone else. Five months in, I found out that he was married with a kid on the way. I got called an ugly whore for not wanting to meet up. A guy came over, ate and fell asleep on my couch for six hours and I could not manage to wake him up. I'd be terrified. I went on a date where the guy refused to let me chime in or contribute and would then cut me off so that only he could talk the entire time. What the fuck? It was a horrible experience, but eventually I found my partner. I got stalked by a police officer and matched with a murderer. Hashtag still alive. And finally, this is so cute. And finally, on a first date, a guy kept talking about his ex all night and how amazing she was. We both agreed at the end of the night that they should get back together. I love that you were coaching him through this conundrum during a date. That's very big of you. So thank you for sending all those in. There was so many more. There were literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and they were all brilliant. So I really appreciate you guys sending all of that in. But other than it being fucking entertaining, it's also really good insight for a lot of people to realize, you know, the landscape of the dating app scene because there obviously are good experiences, but they're obviously very, very unpleasant and borderline like, you know, soul-destroying experiences that occur because of the dating app. So like I said, the dating apps, like I said, I am going to talk through this and get you to understand where you sit with the dating apps and if it's something that you could use to, as, as a tool or if it's something that you should steer clear of completely. Now, I think one of the first issues or the, or the, the biggest issues with the dating app world is that it's very far removed from real life. And a lot of people on dating apps, definitely not all, but a lot of people get so sucked into this pattern of behavior of swiping yes and then having all these people, you know, match and starting a conversation that they get sucked into the illusion of endless possibilities, of endless potential. So people are here thinking like, fuck, 
they are just in this city alone, there are so many possibilities for me, you know. And if you're someone that's got like a killer profile that is really attractive to a lot of people, then your head's going to get really fucking big and you're going to be like, wow, I really can have almost anyone I want. That's kind of the illusion because your photos look great. You've got great answers for some of the questions and whatever. And it obviously goes without saying that almost everyone's profile is very curated, obviously. You're trying to put your best foot forward. You're trying to, you know, be as attractive to the people that you're trying to attract as you can. That's a no-brainer. And that makes sense. Obviously, you're not going to try and put your worst fucking foot forward. So that's understandable. I'm not trying to shame people for doing that. But the issue with that is that sometimes when trying to put your best foot forward, you dilute the fun, good parts of your personality as well. So then you're getting this very washed out version of a lot of people on there. And a lot of these people, you're like, yep, tick, tick, tick. You're ticking all the boxes. Yes, you look the way I want you to look. Yep, you have this opinion. Yep, you went to this university. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, match. Like it's very clinical. It's very cold. And then there are people out there that are truly, you know, really hoping for the spark. They're hoping to meet someone. They're hoping. So you've got a mix. And this is where the issue is with dating apps. You've got a mix between people that are like, I'm here for a true connection. I'll match with people that aren't normally my type. I just want to give it a red hot go. I'll meet with people. I'll go out of my comfort zone. Fuck yeah. I want to be in love. And then there are people being like, fucking my ego's never been bigger. The amount of endless options I have is ridiculous. I could have a date every night for the next year and still never run out of options. So you've got those two extremes. The issue, they're both fine independently of each other. The issue is when those two worlds collide and each other thinks that the other person wants something different. The second group is more of the culprit than the first group because the first group is very transparent in not every case, but in a lot of cases, they're quite transparent. They're like, I'm looking for love. This is what I'm interested in. Would love a connection. Want to go out on dates. The second group may say, I'm looking for a connection or I'm open to whatever kind of relationship. So they're already deceiving when they probably just want to get laid or they're not intending on pursuing anything until they meet this mystical creature that they think will answer all their questions. But they're deceiving the other group. And I don't even hate to say this, it's a fact. There are a lot of assholes who are extremely emotionally desensitized that are on dating apps. And no, a lot of people don't feel bad for leaving someone on red or not committing to someone because in this world of dating apps, they feel like it's not meaningful enough so the other person's not going to get upset. It doesn't matter to me, so why would it matter to them? A lot of people who enter the dating app scene enter with the intention to meet someone. Then their ego gets so massaged as they go along that they're like, I'm a fucking, I'm Hugh Hefner, I'm fucking Hugh Hefner and, you know, line up basically. So their initial reason for joining the app may have been for a proper connection and then it becomes this addictive thing where they're more addicted to the app itself and using the app and staying in the app than actually going on the date and getting off the app. They almost become hooked on the app. And so they get sucked into this cycle and then everyone else becomes part of that cycle. And there's so many people in that position that when you enter the dating app world, as long as you're well aware that you're going to come across a lot of these people and be like, yep, that's fine, I don't care, then, you know, go for gold. 
But a lot of people are going to go into this thinking that everyone's wanting what they want. And that's the issue. Because like I said, in reverse, the people that don't care are there thinking, oh, I, I can just leave you on red. I can ghost you because I don't care. So it mustn't matter to you. They also think that, you know, everyone here's got endless options. So why would I bother trying to explain why I'm not interested? I'll just block you, you know, easy. You're done, out, deleted. You know, they think that just because you've had one encounter, let's say you do go on a date, oh, but it's only been one date, Pff, as if I've got to message them back, as if I owe them anything, as if, as if, you know, why would I bother, as if. You know, and, and that behavior can become quite dangerous because it starts to change you as a person. And a lot of people become really desensitized in the dating scene and they actually become very cold and disrespectful and rude to other people because they're so used to this behavior as being quote unquote normal that I know people that are really sweet and lovely go on one date and then the person messaged them back and then they're like, oh, oh, delete block, cold, 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 ignore, ignore, ignore. And then I'll say like, oh, but maybe you just say I'm not interested. They're like, well, clearly I'm not interested if I'm not replying to their messages. And I'm like, what is happening to you? Like, yeah, you don't, no one's holding a gun to your head. You don't have to reply. And if you were in a situation in a date where someone made you feel very uncomfortable or you were like, wow, bad vibes. I actually cannot message you again. I have to delete you. But if someone's really lovely and they gave you their time, I think the respectful, nice thing to do would be to send them a message and say, look, thank you so much, but I just didn't see this as like a, a vibe to, to pursue it for a second date or something along those lines. I just don't see the value in ghosting someone who is kind. I don't see the value. And I don't think the reason of, well, you know, boundaries, boundaries, I just don't think that's good enough. Because yeah, of course you're entitled to, we're all entitled to do a lot. You know, we're, we all have the call to do a lot. We have the power as individuals to decide if we want to communicate with someone or if we don't. But the same people, the same fucking people that get annoyed when they get ghosted, ghost other people. And it doesn't make sense to me. I'm like, you fucking get what you give. Not directly and not always, but you can't be trying to attract something into your life while giving off the exact opposite energy. And I think that you learn a lot as a person and you're very humbled when you have to have an uncomfortable conversation with a nice person. I think it teaches you a lot about character. So I don't think it's fair, no matter how nice you are, when someone was nice and respectful and gave you their time and you went on a date for you to just blatantly ignore them. I don't think that's okay. I genuinely just, I'm against that shit. You know, it's really sad that we're heading in this direction that like, oh, it was just one date. I don't have to, I don't have to, I'm not obliged to have the courtesy to say anything. I'll just leave it. People are always waiting for the next best thing. They're not, you know, a lot of people don't realize and if you're in this dating app thing as well, a lot of people don't realize that you create the next best thing. You don't stumble upon it. Those relationships that you look at that you're like, oh my God, they look like they are living the fairy tale. These, those people created that. They didn't bump into each other and it was fireworks and magic and instant everything was fine they probably had teething problems in the relationship they had to really get to know each other they've had their boring moments they've had their mundane moments they've had their frustrated annoyed moments they've probably had fights big or small but when you see 
this this magic unfolding for some relationships, they've created that. And you going like, mm, uh, oh, your chat's a bit boring. Next. Oh, my God. Please. They sent me three messages, messages in a row. Next. Oh, my God. This person wrote that as their bio. Next. If you're like, what the fuck are you expecting? Because we've got an idea of what is perfect as a profile versus what is perfect as a human. And those things don't align. Because there are many people that you'll meet in person that will say things that you're like, oh, yeah, that's a little bit like embarrassing or jarring. But like the vibes there, they're such a fucking legend that it just goes straight past you. You don't realize. But then when you see that exact same thing or behavior on an app, you're like, oh, my God, how embarrassing. Gross, gross, gross. I'm never going to entertain this thing again. Like it changes you as a person and it makes you cold and superficial. Not everyone, but that's what it does for a lot of people. And that's why it's the source of so much pain for a lot of people. Most of the messages that people sent in were of being treated like shit, being ghosted, being, you know, taken out on a date and then nothing. And, you know, it's just, it's really hard. And for the people that did meet their partners, a lot of them said that it took quote unquote horrible experiences, end quote, before they met their partner. So most people on dating apps, even the ones that have found success, have encountered painful experiences with people on dating apps. So it just shows that in general, it seems to be something that you've got to navigate carefully because I think that there is a place for them and there can be a lot of fun in the dating app scene, but I think you've got to know what it is that you're walking into. And if you're someone like me, you might be someone that thinks, not fucking for me, not for me. I personally, I can't do it. I couldn't do it. I just found it I, I don't get anxiety often. It takes a lot for me to get anxiety or it's going to be acute anxiety tied to a specific event. Dating apps gave me anxiety. I just, I didn't like the feeling of it and I was on there. Well, I lied. I was on there for two hours, but then a year earlier, I was on there for like, I think a day. And both times I hated it. So I'm like, I cannot do this. The other thing is that people are constantly seeking perfection and because they feel that they've got endless possibilities, they can be very, very picky. And I think it's good to be picky in the sense of when you're meeting people in real life and, and you're coming across things that are non-negotiables. I think it's fine to have you know, your, your, um, your minimum standard of what you would want in a partner. That's perfectly fine. But when you get really picky on it has to be this height, has to be this air, hair color, has to be this career, has to be this income, has to have this exact kind of family and blah, 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 all of that, I think it can be quite, you know, restrictive. But the reason you don't think it's restrictive is because you've got this endless amount of people that you could keep swiping yes to. A lot of people think that, you know, they, they want to have this awesome life with this awesome partner, but they don't want to put in the effort. And they think that it'll be easy because they've got such an abundance to choose from. Look at this pool of people that I've got to choose from. But they don't realize that most of those people in that pool are thinking the same thing about them. You're disposable, you're disposable, you're disposable. So people want this epic relationship and this epic partner and this really cool life, but they're not willing to put in the, the effort. These apps are also a massive killer of vulnerability. It is a vulnerability slayer because people get hurt, they get judged, they get judged on 
the photos that they put up and the few statements they were able to share and it's a no, 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 no. And then people think, oh, I'm like, I'm worried to put out this aspect of me or this side of me. So I've got to curate more and more and I've got to move this photo to the front and this photo, you know, and it makes you question yourself so much and question who you are and question what you have to offer. And so then because of that, you then become really picky on who it is that you want because you're like, well, I'm not just going to say yes to anyone. I'm just opening up the floodgate. So now I'm going to say yes to these specific people that match my criteria. And it kind of fuels this vicious cycle where no one's really talking. No one's really going on those dates. Everyone's matching. They get their ego boost. Yep. Okay. I got matched. Oh, thank God. Oh, but I don't want to actually talk to you. Like, calm the fuck down. I don't want to talk to you. I just wanted you to boost my self-esteem because I was feeling so shit because someone literally called me apparently an ugly whore. So you go from this – I'm quoting the person that sent that in a message, by the way. Um, so you go in this through this cycle of, I feel really shit. I've been made to feel shit from this app. But at the same time, I'm getting all this validation, all this validation. There are people that will literally just swipe yes to everyone without even looking, right? So if you feel that you're being rejected all the time, this is not personal. People will, they will go, yep, 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 just to see how many hits they get in return. And why would you do that? Because you want a self-esteem boost. You want to be validated by external sources. So instead of it being a platform when you go to meet people, it then becomes a platform to be validated by external sources. Then when it comes to the crunch of actually you having to put in the time and effort to meet someone, you're like, oh, well, you know, I've already been validated by all these people. Am I really going to have a conversation with this person? I could go on this date. We could fluff around and talk about going on a date, but am I actually going to action it? Am I really going to have the initiative to invite this person? Are they going to invite me? Why are they not inviting me? And then it just fizzles out before you even meet each other in person. And some of the messages that are back and forth, you go back and read them and you're like, there's nothing there. How could we have ever gotten to know each other? There's nothing there. So the likelihood of having a great connection with someone taking it off the app gets lower and lower and lower. And of course, it still happens because there are literally millions of people on these apps. So of course, there's going to be success stories. But there's way more bad endings than they are good for this reason because people are using the app not so much to find the love of their life they're using it as a way to feel validated to have their ego boosted to feel like they've got endless options and they are a catch and it's 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 you know a self-esteem boost they feel important they feel you know good about themselves on a superficial level but it ultimately comes down to the fact that you can't have both You can either have a really strong connection, but in order to have that connection, you have to cut the ties to the old, basically the the old past of other connections. So you're going all in and you're committing and that's where you truly reap the benefits and that's where you truly get the connection and the love and that epic relationship that people are like, well, how did you do it? Well, that's, you know, the one that you admire in other people, that's how you get it because you're, you're connected, you're investing your time, your energy, your resources, everything into that one connection or you've got this superficial, superficial thing where you can log on, have your ego boosted, feel good about yourself, log out, log on and then be confronted with, oh shit, I've got to reply to that message. Oh, I don't want to reply. Uh, uh, I regret messaging that person. I'll just block them and then feel a bit awkward. But then look at all these people that have liked my profile and then oh, I can feel good again and then get off the app 
and then come back to the app to feel good again. So, but you can't have both. One is zero risk, all superficial short-lived reward. The other one is higher risk as far as putting your heart on the line, getting emotionally invested, higher risk, but much, much greater, deeper reward. And it's, you've got to let go of one to be able to fully invest in the other. If you've got one foot in this field and the other foot in the other field, you're never going to enjoy either. You're going to be like, oh, but that looks good. Oh, but I can't let go of that. Oh, but And that's where most people are at. They like the idea of the connection. They see someone with potential. They're like, fuck, you could be good. But I'm saying goodbye to all this epic fun shit on the app. I'm saying goodbye to all these potentials. And I've spoken about potential before. Potential is all well and good, but it is nothing until you narrow it down and do something about it. Potential is exciting, but it, it ends there. Potential is just potential. It's not experience. It's not results. It's not a journey. It's not enriching. It's just you standing at the gate looking at all the avenues, but not actioning any of them. That's potential then when you narrow down how much potential you have because you've chosen one path and you've gone down that path, that's where you're going to reap the rewards. There will be a lot of people that you will meet who actually think you're a catch, who actually think you're a good time, but they're so wrapped up in the fear of losing all the other possibilities and all the other potential that they will choose that over you. And the reason why it's easy for them to choose that over you is because they never were fully invested in the you camp. They always had one foot in one door, one foot in the other door. So don't take it as a personal stab, although it feels personal and it kind of is personal, but you've got to get in their head and realize that they were never fully invested to really know what they could reap from this relationship with you because their head was always bouncing back between the two. And that's the issue that I find with dating apps. It is one giant illusion. So if you are aware of all that the dating app landscape has to offer, the good and the bad, and you can go in there really level-headed, then maybe you'll become, it'll be easier for you to understand what it is that people want from the app and what it is that people don't want. Maybe you won't be able to. And I couldn't, that's why I didn't like it. But I don't want to make it out like I'm bashing dating apps because I myself have many friends that have found their partners on dating apps and they are phenomenal matches. And I think that there are people there that if you sift through it who feel the same way that you might feel, who want that connection and who want to take it straight off the app and go for the date. There are a lot of people that are new to the dating app that haven't been sucked into this thing. And it's about sifting through the different characters on there. Okay? But... You have to always remind yourself that this, is a, this changes people and it makes people more superficial and it makes people colder. And when you enter their thinking, but why could, how could someone do that? Why would they do that? How could they just block you and not reply? And why are they so mean? People are being desensitized on these apps, okay? And I don't know how all apps work, but I'm sure that a bunch of apps are designed to keep people on the app, not off the app. So that's why they make it so addictive. And so it draws you in, okay? And it, and it gets you wanting more, wanting more validation, wanting more excitement, wanting, wanting, wanting. I want to have all these ticks and yeses and blah, 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 okay? 
So I don't want you to be sitting there beating down on yourself because you haven't succeeded in the dating app world. I want you to look at that if you're looking for a, a true connection with somebody and a relationship, you want to use the dating apps as one of the pillars, one of the ways that you can find people. Because I know that everyone says oh, it's really hard to find people, meet people in person. And that's true. You know, you can't just click your finger and meet someone straight away. But I don't want you to put all your eggs in one basket thinking the dating app's just where you've got to be now. That's where you've got to be because it's not. And still to this day, so many fucking people meet other people through chance encounters, through mutual friends, through serendipitous moments. Okay. So hopefully that gave you a broader perspective on how to view dating apps. Hopefully you were able to have a bit of a laugh with some of those stories and some of those comments. And for those of you that have met your partner on dating apps, that is fucking epic. One of my best friends who I was the bridesmaid at the wedding, they met on a dating app and they're an epic couple. So I'm definitely not all against it, but I do understand the psychology behind a lot of the tools within these dating apps and what they are intended to do for some of those apps for the most part. Um, good times. That is the episode for today. We now have the listener question, but thank you for tuning in. And if you found that helpful, please let me know on the Facebook page. And yeah, love you all so much. All right, listener question. Firstly, I have to start by saying thank you for the podcast and all that you have done for my brain. Your no bullshit approach to changing your mindset is the reason I have changed mine so much. But here's my dilemma. When I was much younger, I dated a lemon. He was a terrible person. He was selfish, broke up with me a couple of times. And although he, quote unquote, only cheated on me once, he crossed lots of boundaries, especially being dishonest when we weren't together, but were in that terrible in-between phase of together, but not together. Anyway, we broke up quite a while ago. And to be honest, your podcast was a godsend. And I've really worked on healing my anxious attachment, being mindful of my triggers and gaining so much fucking confidence. Anyway, fast forward quite a while and I reconnected with this man. He had changed. He had really changed. He listens. He communicates well. And that young, reckless boy has become quite an angel. Although almost a year into dating again, I find I'm still really angry at the hurt that he caused in the past. I've worked on myself so much that the minute anything cooked happened, I would leave without question and that side of myself is healed now. But I need help on how to stop being so angry at the past him. I know my decision to date again is entirely my choice and I should leave the past exactly where it is because this is an entire new relationship, but here I am still angry. So really, I would love some tips or advice to heal this part of me or a slap in the face and a truth bomb about maybe if this anger is here now, it's my own awareness that this isn't right. Thanks again and much love. This is a very, very, very interesting position that you are in. Um, I feel like there's a few things that you, you can look at to help you kind of heal through this process. If you love the dude and if he's legitimately made these changes and he's a great guy, I don't see that as a sign that you shouldn't be with him and it's your awareness telling you that this isn't right. I don't think the fact that he was bad in his past is the reason why it's not right. If you, There should be other f indicators or factors for you to be like, oh, no, I just don't want to be in this relationship. But it's not his past if all those behaviours have changed. You might – because there's, there's, before I go into addressing this feeling, if you do want to stay with him, there might be a part of you – and I, this could be completely false, but I'm just going to eliminate this option. There might be a part of you that 
is dating him because he's the person that you wanted him to be back in the past and now he's finally become that person. So you're like, yes, oh my God, it's all happened. It's what I've wanted. You're the person that I want you to be and you're dating him. But deep down you're like, um, like, yeah, I'm really happy that you've changed and you're such a great person, but do I even want to be with you anymore or am I being with you because you've made all these changes? So then maybe you've got this kind of annoyance at yourself and then you don't want to be with him. But if you're in a position where you're like definitely love the guy, definitely thrilled that he's changed and now we can actually have a healthy relationship and actually move forward, this is exactly what I want, why am I feeling anger? Then let's talk about that. I feel like when something like that happens, it is perfectly okay and often healthy and actually Esther Perel speaks a lot to this. So if you want to go more in depth about it, definitely check out Esther Perel's books and her talks and stuff. I think she even has a podcast actually. Um, I know she has a podcast. I'm just trying to remember the name. But anyway, but basically what it is is it's without reprimanding your partner in a very gentle way, speak to your partner and say, I'm really struggling to put aside what happened in our past and be able to move forward. And I feel that at the moment, it's all on me. Like I'm the one that has to just forget it happened, forget it happened and it's fine and it will be fine. And eventually it'll be something that will be in the distant past. But I feel that, you know, I sometimes need to digest it a bit. And because I'm with you, it's not like you're gone and you're no longer in my life. Because I'm with you, I am confronted with memories of this a lot more often than if I wasn't to be with you. And I don't want this to be this ongoing thing, so I feel that I'd want to address it and talk to you about it. And maybe you can ask him, what made you change? What was the defining reason why you changed? How do you feel about the way you treated me in the past? How do you feel about how I was made to feel after that. And maybe when you start talking to him, you're going to hear some things that he has to say. And if he's really the angel that he's become, he's probably going to say some things that are going to feel quite cathartic and quite healing for you. If he loves you, he will be open to having these conversations if, if you approach it when you are both calm do not do this in a fight because that will come across as an attack. So it's something that you want to approach when you're both calm. You want to make it come from a place of love and say, I'm going to be really vulnerable right now. So bear with me while I say what I'm going to say because I want it to come across in the right way. Like really frame it so he understands that you are absolutely just coming from a place of wanting to be able to heal this part of you so that way you can move forward along in the relationship. I don't think it's something that you should be keeping to yourself and not talking about and not thinking that it's okay for you to talk about. This is absolutely something that you don't need to stomp down and not address. It would be different if he had treated you like shit and then you broke up and you never got back together. You wouldn't need to hit him up for closure because you don't need him in your life again. You'd be like, that was cooked. I just have to heal myself as an individual and move on. The fact that he's now in your life means that you can have an open conversation with the person that caused all this pain and you'll be able to get places because you'll be able to say, wow, okay, instead of this being this internalized thing that I'm, that's bubbling and brewing under the surface, I'm now getting a lot of understanding. I'm going to understand why you did the things you did or why you think you did the things you did, what caused the change, you know, what was the catalyst, 
how you felt, all these things will legitimately help you heal because you're going to understand more about not just this this day and night of treating you horribly, being awful, and then all of a sudden such a such a beautiful person. It will help bridge that understanding for you, if that makes sense. Um, so, yeah, they're the two possibilities. So either you really, really love him and you're like, I really want this to proceed and that's how I would go about it. Or there's a slim chance that you're like, I'm only dating him because he finally became the perfect version of him. But it was too little too late. Now I'm not into it and here I am just having all these weird feelings to push me away from him. So try and like sit with these feelings and figure out what it is. But I have a feeling it's the second option, but how am I to know? Anyway, that is all for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, remember, be kind to yourself, be kind to your brain. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke!